Scripture emphasized the importance of us being connected in communion, in fellowship, not just with each other, which is a large theme within the church today that like we just need community. But if you have community without the connection to the cross of Christ, what you have is a fellowship group based upon just common interests, right? So, so without Jesus, we have a social group. So what we're all connected to and what we're all surrounding ourselves around is the commonality of Jesus. Therefore, when we have fellowship with one another and connection with one another, it's deeper than just something social that we enjoy, but it's a fellowship that's based upon Christ. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. chapter 15 let's all stand together we'll read read this section of scripture and then uh, we'll pray verse 1 of chapter 15 it says I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because the word which I have spoken to you Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will... Uh, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for your word this evening, and uh, we pray, God, that you would speak to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to have relationship with us, and you desire to dwell among us and, and be with us. And Lord, we're just so, uh, just so overwhelmed by that, and we're, we're so thankful that you're a God who's near. And, uh, and so, Lord, we pray as we get into your word that you would speak to us, that you would empower us by your spirit, that you'd illuminate your word to us, help us to understand and, and uh, to grasp what it is to be a follower and to, to be in relationship with you. And so we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. No, sorry. That's what it felt like. So... Um, Jesus has now begun this discourse as they have now left the upper room and gone into the garden of Gethsemane. Uh, remember in chapter 14, verse 31, it says, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I, so I do arise, let us go from here. Uh, he's left the upper room. Um, just prior to that, Judas left the upper room to betray him, uh, to go out and to uh, betray him for 30 pieces of silver, and that story picks up later. But Jesus now begins to talk with his disciples uh, in a way that is very revealing as to uh, his relationship to us, his instruction to them. Last week we looked at verses 15 through 31 and just how Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, 
and it's an expression of love. It was a test to see where we are in our relationship with God. If I love him like I say that I do, am I doing what he says in his word? Am I following what, what he says? Um, and so Jesus has begun this discourse as they now left that, the upper room. They've gone towards the, gar the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and he gave us reasons why our hearts should not be troubled uh, to bring, bring to now the object of our hope, which is Jesus himself, the cross, which would give us hope of heaven. But he draws our attention now to the subject of relationship. Relationship. He's going to reach his disciples, or sorry, not reach, he's going to teach them. Spell check, super important. He is going to teach his disciples about the relationship with them uh, and the relationship of abiding with him. And then he will turn their attention on their relationship with each other, with the world, and with the spirit. But tonight we're just going to cover that first section of our relationship with him. And, and if it boils, we boil it down into two categories, Jesus gives us uh, two images that of branches and of friends. Uh, later in, in the chapter, he talks about friendship. And each of those comes with privileges and responsibility. So each relationship, whether you're a branch or a friendship, each of those, and we'll explain what those are, each of those comes with two things, and that is a privilege and a responsibility. As a branch, we have the privilege of sharing his life um, that he shares his life with us as a branch. And the responsibility of that branch is to abide in the vine. So that's, that is our privilege and our responsibility. As a friend, we have the privilege of knowing his will and the responsibility of obeying that known will. So those are going to be, you know, kind of boiling it down into one main theme as we go through chapter 15. But this is tonight the seventh and final I am statement of Jesus. And he uses this image uh, that would be something that the disciples were very familiar with. And that is a vine, grapes hanging off that vine. Um, the vine is found throughout the Old Testament in different types. Um, but Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea all use this imagery of the vine. And the vine and the clusters of grapes were symbols that were used during the Maccabean era or the Maccabean period. And the image of the vine was, was so entwined in their culture, it was actually stamped on the coins minted by the Jewish nation. So this was something that, that they would have held dear. It's something that's very close to them, that they know and they understand. And so as Jesus begins to use this imagery, he's helping them to understand some kind of relationship between them and him. Josephus even reported that above the entrance doors of Herod's temple spread a golden vine with great clusters hanging from it. And the allegory gives us four main parts, uh, and we'll look at each of those in their meaning tonight, and that is number one, the vine, number two, the branches, number three, the vine dresser, and number four, the fruit. And we're going to look at it in that order. I know it's a little out of order, but you'll see why Hopefully, you'll see why we do it in a minute. So, the vine, right? Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus claims here that he is the true vine. The literal Greek translation is the vine, the true. Um, which then would, if you're a good Bible student, you would ask the question, well, is there a false vine? If he's the true vine, that leads to the question of, well, what is there another vine? That would mean, yeah, there probably is something else that was a counterfeit or a copy uh, of this true vine. And in scriptures, there's three in scripture, there's three different vines found throughout the Old Testament, and that is the past vine found in Isaiah chapter five, verse one. It says, "Now let me 
Sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard. And on a very fruitful hill, he dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. And so he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then would I expected to bring forth good grapes? Did I bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it to waste, and it shall be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that the rain, no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Israel was that past vine, where when it talks about that he went in and cleared a space for this vine. It's speaking of Israel coming out of Egypt and God went into Canaan and he cleared the land of its inhabitants. He drove out the inhabitants and planted Israel there. He removed the stones. He removed the thorn. He, remembered, he, he made it so wonderful for them. All, like, like, if there was anyone who was going to succeed, it should have been Israel. And instead of peace and righteousness, what was bred was unrighteousness and injustice and oppression. And God then had to deal with Israel. So that is the past vine. It's always speaking of, of the nation of Israel. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus uses that imagery again to, to convey a parable of, of a wicked vine, like these workers within a vineyard. And he'd send messenger to them and they would kill the messenger. And he said, they killed like three of them. I forget. It's in Matthew 21, 33 through 36. If you want to read it, or 33 through 46. And it's this parable of him going to, during harvest time. And, and they killed the messenger. And so he says, I'll send my son. And when he sent his son... Uh, it says, then the last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. When Jesus tells that story, it's this story and it's a parable of the nation of Israel. The vine dressers were the religious leaders who would later kill the son of the vine dresser, which is what Jesus is talking about here tonight. He was saying that, that this, if anyone was going to succeed, it should have been Israel. It was a place where God had cleared through miraculous provision, a place for them to grow and to dwell and to produce fruit. And what was produced was wild grapes, he says. And so that is the past vine. The future vine is found in Revelation chapter 14, verses 14 through 20. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. That is a future vine. We talk about God uh, taking the earth through the wine press, where the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth. That is the future vine. But there is a present vine. 
and that is Jesus, the true vine. The original or the true is the, the translation, the source of everlasting life. And the second thing in this, in this parable that Jesus uses or this imagery in this, this story that Jesus uses is the branch, the branches. This is talking about us. The branches are, are you and I. It's our relationship to the vine he's talking about. So those, but it's those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Look what he says in verse three. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he's not talking to Judas who has left the room. He's talking to the 11 disciples there in that room. And he's saying, you are already clean because of your faith. Now he's talking about relationship between the believer and him and how that's supposed to be. He's saying it's like a vine and it's like branches. A branch of its own is weak and must draw life from the vine if it's going to produce life. It cannot produce life in and of itself. And what Jesus is saying, it's our communion with Christ through the spirit that makes it possible for lasting fruit that is authentic to come forth. Even scripture emphasizes the importance of this connection to the vine. If you've done any kind of gardening in your entire life, ever, like, you know that it's important for something to be planted. Right? Have you ever had to pull weeds? Anyone ever had to pull weeds? That was my job as a kid. My dad would be like, Andrew, go pull weeds. And all, we had, I had four brothers, three brothers, there's four boys. And on Saturday, it was chore day. And my chore was to bang out the rugs. No, I did not leave in the 1800s. I, I lived in, in the today and now. But we'd all have chore day, right? And my brother had to clean the bathrooms. And then I had to bang out the rugs. And then I was also on weed duty. My dad would make me go pull weeds. And I pulled weeds for about five seconds and then I would get lost. And like, <laughs> you know, I would get distracted, okay? So, <laughs> but if you notice that anything gets clipped or pulled out of the ground or cut off, if you leave it there in a pile, it becomes brittle and dry. It doesn't keep living, it's dead. It, it receives life from what's planted in the ground. It has to be connected to the trunk of the tree. That's where it draws life from itself. Scripture emphasized the importance of us being connected in communion, in fellowship, not just with each other, which is a large theme within the church today that like we just need community. But if you have community without the connection to the cross of Christ, what you have is a fellowship group based upon just common interests, right? So, so without Jesus, we have a social group. So what we're all connected to and what we're all surrounding ourselves around is the commonality of Jesus. Therefore, when we have fellowship with one another and connection with one another, it's deeper than just something social that we enjoy, but it's a fellowship that's based upon Christ. Scripture emphasizes how important this is. It talks about it in the imagery of a body and its members. Tonight, if I were to lose a finger... The finger would eventually die unless it would be reconnected to my hand. It, 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 Paul uses the imagery in 1 Corinthians 12 that like if the ear was just all of a sudden like I'm sick of being an ear. I don't want to be attached to the top of the head. I'm just going to hop off and be on my own. It will not survive. It needs to be connected to the life source. It needs to be connected to the body. He also talks about in Ephesians. Paul uses the imagery of a bride and a bridegroom. John chapter 10, Jesus uses the, the imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. All of these are connected through relationship and are vital to these relationships. 
If a part of the body is removed, it dies. Marriage creates union, but it is a daily love and devotion that is needed to maintain a relationship. When people get married, they're not like, yep, that's it. I'm good. Like, we don't have to talk or hang out or be together anymore. Like, the union has taken place. We're done. Like, that's not marriage. There's a constant, everyday commitment to daily love and devoting ourselves to each other. He also uses the imagery of a shepherd and his sheep. That the shepherd has brought his sheep into the sheepfold, brought them into fellowship. But the sheep must follow the shepherd to, to receive provision and protection. It's when the sheep wanders that he gets picked off. And so scripture emphasizes how, how important it is that we personally, each of us as a branch, is connected to the vine, connected to Jesus first, before we're ever connected to anyone else. The importance of being connected to the vine ourselves is vital to the growth of the body of Christ. In verse 4, he says, abide in me, and I in you. And I'm sure you've heard this a hundred times, and, and, and you've heard this Bible study before, you've heard this taught before, like the, the key to the Christian life is abiding in Jesus. And you're like, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> but what does it mean to abide? Like, what does that look like practically on a day-to-day -day life with Jesus? What does it look like to abide in Christ? Um, I've been to like multiple camps where like the theme is abide. We're like, we're going to abide in our abode and we're aboding as we're abiding. And you're like, why do we keep using this word? I don't even know what it means. Like we don't even, um, I don't know what that means. But to abide has a very specific idea behind it. It means to, and I love this definition. It says, have sustained conscious communion with Jesus. Let me say it again. To have sustained, conscious communion with him. It basically means to stay in fellowship with Jesus. To have a constant connection with him. Well, how do we do that? Like, How do I stay in a, a constant state of fellowship or communion with the Lord? And I love that it emphasizes the word consciousness. Right? We, we can go about life unconscious in a way. It's, it's a way of like motion that we go through things and we're here and we're there and Jesus and we understand that and the Bible and it's great and we believe it and it's awesome. I don't know about you if you've ever found yourself through this like machine-like walk with the Lord where it's just very mechanical. And when things are mechanical, it lacks a certain realness or vibrancy of life, right? Because it's a machine. And so if you ever find yourself in that place of just going through the motion, it's because often it's we've, we're unconscious to the connection that we have with the living God. We've just become fat in our walk with God. Don't look at me like that. You're like, you, it, it's very easy. This is super easy. <laughs> it's super easy. Okay. And I love that that's the definition. I need to abide in Christ. And all of a sudden go, here, here, yay. Let's do that. High five. Let's go abide. Like, but, but honestly, if you do not make a conscious effort to abide in Christ, you won't. 
It has to be something that we, that is our responsibility as the branch. Our blessing as the branch is that God shares his life with us. He's given us eternal life. But our responsibility then is to turn back and invest into that life. Does that make sense? So there, there's a privilege and there is a, what's the word? Responsibility, thank you. The privilege is the life that he gives. The responsibility is abiding back into that life. Consciously making an effort into our relationship with God. Well, how do we do that? It's, it's going to revolutionize your life. I don't know if you know this. It's the word of God. I always think it's going to be some different answer, but it's not. You're like, I know what it is. It's that secret podcast I've been looking for. Refuge Young Adults. I knew it. That's how I abide in Christ. And if you want to listen to it, you can. But... Um, that's not, it's not necessarily like some secret thing that we're all trying to find. It's very simple. God has made it clear. We find fellowship with him through his word. He speaks through his word. He gives us his will through his word. We also find this time of fellowship with the Lord through prayer and through meditation. And I'm not talking about meditation in the, in the sense that where you ponder your navel and you find your center and you're like using this one word over and over to like trans, transcend out of your body. And you're like, dude, I was just meditating this morning. Like if you live in this area, you know what I'm talking about? Someone's like, I was doing this hour of yoga and I found myself in tree pose. And all of a sudden I was in light, my third eye opened. And these are real conversations that I have had where like it opened and I was like, whoa. You're like, that's not, <laughs> what did you take? Um, you know, before you did yoga. But when the Bible talks about meditation, when it talks about meditation, this is a real practice. It's a real thing. That we're meditating on the things of God. Meditation in the sense that we're taking our consciousness and putting it towards God. Like thinking about him, praying towards him, thinking about what I'm praying, not even caring about the fluidity of my prayer, but just what am I saying about God? Am I thinking about him? Am I, am I gazing into his presence and into his throne room? Understanding the access that I now have through Christ. It's meditating upon the person of Jesus. It's not meditating upon us. I do that plenty all day long. I think about my hunger and it's mostly my hunger, but mostly my, like my caffeine, my caffeine need or, or my, my flesh and what I need to fulfill. That's meditating on self. Meditating upon Christ through prayer is a time in which we turn our eyes and our consciousness towards God. We also stay in fellowship by serving him. By serving the Lord through, through times of where we serve other people. Taking time out of our day, sacrificing, being generous with your time and giving it to others for the, for the betterment of, uh, of their, their walk with Christ. And the last one is fellowship with believers. Like there, there's something very good and very holy about sitting down, sharing a meal praying with those that love Jesus and just having that time of, of connection through the Lord. And that is how we're built up abiding in and encouraging one another in Christ. And it's one, this is honestly the way that we need to think of community is not, or in church, is not like a sack of marbles, but a bunch of grapes. And we've used, we've talked about this before. Church, this fellowship, you got to think of it as a bunch of grapes, not a sack of marbles. Because as a sack of marbles, you can jump in and you can jump out. You're like 
amongst people for a minute and then you're just out and you're not connected to anything anymore. That's not church. That's not true fellowship. When you think about a bunch of grapes, they're all connected to the vine, therefore they're all connected to each other. And that's what holds them together. And that's the way that we are. We're connected through Christ, all through, through this one vine that has now given us life. And therefore, as we are all together and we're surrounded by each other, and as we turn back into our relationship with the Lord, we're realizing that that life that has come to me and now is giving, I'm going back in, it's coming in through you. That fellowship that we have is unique to the New Testament. That we're joined together by the blood of Christ. It's something very powerful. It's not just like, yeah, just like go to church and it's great. It's not just like, yeah, yeah, I have friends. Like friends are great. I have one. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But like we have, you know, you're like, I have two. Rob's there. You know, we have friends and it's great. Friendship is great. But friendship is, is different when you have Christ in, in both sides of that friendship, isn't it? It's totally different. I have friends right now that do not love Jesus and don't walk with Jesus. And we can only like go so far in our conversation. You know, they're like, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, right on, right on, right on. It's on. You know, it's like only so far that, that we can go. And the point I'm making is fellowship is found in Christ. If you are just part of like a community group, but Jesus is not the life source of it, then what is the point of it? Just a bunch of people sharing the same common interest. And, you know, you could be part of a weird Facebook group. You know, no one's judging. If you're like clowns for Christ and you're like all about that, and that's like your, your, your whatever, okay, cool. And we're like, we're all about Jesus and, and we're also about clowns. Like we're, yeah. You know, it's like finding that common bond and like, you know, that's gr fine. But if you're just clowns, you're just a clown. You know, you're like without Christ, you're just a clown. So, I don't know where I was going with that. Moving on. How do I know that I'm, okay, so, so we always like, I want to abide in Christ, right? That's what Jesus says, abide in me. And I'm like, I'm going to do that. Watch me abide. And you start reading your Bible and you pray and you meditate on the word and you're meditating on the Lord and you're serving, you're fellowshipping. And you're like, well, am I really abiding? How do I know? You ever ask that question? <laughs> I do all the time. I'm like, am I a Christian? I think so. I'm like a decent pastor. I'm like a really bad Christian. You know, like you, you kind of have those thoughts of like, am I saved? Has that ever happened to you? Okay. It happens to me all the time. And you're like, eh, I don't know if I really feel like I've abided like hardcore this week. <laughs> How do you know that you're abiding? It's very simple. Jesus says that you will produce fruit. You will produce fruit. It will produce fruit, which will uh, we'll discuss fruit in a minute, what that is. But that's a sign of abiding. There will be fruit in your life. The second thing is that you will experience pruning in your life. Because God cares so much about you. The, the most amount of judgment that you could ever experience is that God would leave you to your own and not care for you and prune you and come alongside of you. Like that, that's the judgment of God. That God would take his hands off of you. And so pruning is actually something that, that hurts. But I want to say this. Abiding is not automatic. It takes active cultivation. It takes a conscious effort. 
And as you abide, what naturally will then flow with just ease is fruit from your life. And that's how you'll know if you're abiding in Christ. The third person we're going to look at, or the third character of the analogy, is the vine dresser. Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. The father is in charge of caring for the vines. And notice the, the progression. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, so no fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, so, so some fruit, he then prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the progression is no fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's how it moves. And he prunes us, the father will prune us in two ways. But notice that progression and that process isn't that enjoyable. The pruning process is not that enjoyable. We want results like, why can't he just you know, produce some fruit in me or like more or whatever he's going to do right now. Kind of like the gym. Um, if you've ever gone to the gym, like the goal is abs. The process to get there is like 13 years of consistent gym going, you know? And you're like, why can't I just have abs like now? And you're like, abs. And it just, boom. I ever seen those commercials where like you can wear a shirt and it electroshocks your abs all day long. So you don't have to like work. Like, and if you've bought one of those, like God bless you, let me borrow it. But, but you know, you're thinking like, this is how it's going to happen. I'm going to electroshock my way to a six pack. And you're like, eh, I don't know if that works. And then you start doing sit-ups and then a study comes out. They're like, never do sit-ups. You're going to break your neck. And you're like, well, how do I work out these abs? And, and, but the process to get to what you want is excruciating. Like you can't eat junk if, if the goal is a six-pack. Unless you're one of those people that we all hate that is born with a six-pack. And you're like, you're a piece of junk. You know that? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. I eat a jelly bean and I'm like, ba-blam. And, and you're over here eating twice what I eat in a month. And you have a six pack. Someday, God's grace will shine upon me. And I will have an ab, just one. I just want one. <laughs> the process is not that enjoyable. Like going to the gym is one of the worst, like I hate going to the gym. That's why I haven't gone in two years. Go me. Like I hate going. But we always want, like I want to look healthy. Like I, I want to be able to tie my shoes and not pass out. You know, like that's what we want, but we're unwilling to go through the process of it. So much of it's like I want, I want holiness. Like I want righteousness, but I'm unwilling to go through the process of it. And as our great high priest, Jesus says, he is our great high priest. He is the one who's taking us through the process. And so we must trust the process as we trust our high priest. And, and I want this, but I'm unwilling to go through the process of it. Pruning is difficult. It hurts. It, it's painful. And because he prunes us in two ways, he cuts away, he cuts away the dead and the diseased wood. Like in, in real life, like the vineyard keeper would go and he'll cut away things that are dying and diseased, things that are hanging on the ground because insects will come and crawl up on the, on the vine. It will come and eat the fruit. And so he'll cut those things away to clean it up and make sure that it can, it can continue to live and be healthy. But it also will cut away living tissue so that the quality of the crop won't be jeopardized. 
right? Did you read, did you read what I read? Look at what it says. Every branch that bears fruit, right? Which is a good thing. What'd you say? We all want to bear fruit. It says in verse eight that it glorifies God. That branch he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Hold on a second. So you're saying that even good things, living things, God will come and he will clip and prune away. You're like, how, how would you, why would you? You ever thought about that? You have something good in your life and it's removed. And you're like, why would you do that? Why would you take that? This is where we have to trust the pruning process. That God will take not only bad things, but he'll take good things, what? So we will have the best thing. God's desire is that we would produce not just a quality of fruit in our life, but a quantity of fruit. God is about maximizing your potential for the kingdom of God. And so he'll take away even good things at times. And it's the most frustrating thing in the world. But this is where we have to trust God. You know, Adam and Eve, the essence of sin in the garden is a lack of trust in God. What it boiled down to is the fact that they did not believe that God would do what he said that he would do. They didn't trust him. And truly, that is the essence of sin. It's a lot of times when we get caught up in, and so when God takes something perhaps that we, we loved or something that was good and we say, God, why would you take that? We were reminded of the words of Job. What does he say? You give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because I trust the vine dresser. I trust that he knows what's best for me. Even though that was good, he wants what's best. Not just quality, but he wants quantity as well. Um, Let's look at the fruit, the fourth thing. The fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and gathered them and thrown them into the fire that they are burned. Now, this is an interesting uh, Christian word. Uh, we use the word fruit. Like, are you bearing fruit in your life? Now, in the world, people don't talk like that. Like, how's your job going? Are you bearing fruit? <laughs> you're like, what? I got apples like hanging off me? Like, no, I'm not. I don't know what that means. Like, I grew a watermelon. Like, that's not like a term that the world uses. This is a very much a Christian thing, right? There's fruit in our life. What is the fruit that, that we're talking about? A machine can produce results, but it takes a living organism to produce fruit. A machine can't pump out something that's alive necessarily yet. Clones and stuff like that and like weird organs, 3D printing of hearts and stuff like that. That's happening. Um, but um, it takes a living organism to produce fruit. And the branches do not eat the fruit the others do. I want you to notice that. Now, you've never gone into an, I don't know if you've ever gone into an orchard or like a place where there's fruit trees. A lot of people have lemons and, and oranges around here that you can go and steal off people's trees. We used to do it as we were a kid and my neighbor had this big lemon tree that would hang over a wall. And so we'd take a hockey stick and just like knock down as many lemons as we could. And then we had this water balloon launcher that we would take the park and we would shoot lemons at houses. It was the most fun you could have in Santa Ana. It was wonderful. You're like, <laughs> and watching that sucker go like 300 yards, you're like, there is a God. Like, this is amazing. This is the most fun I've ever had. Um, and you'd listen and you hear that, bat, and you're like, yeah. 
Oh, it still gets me excited right now. Um, <laughs> fruit is not fruit. Like you've never gone into a lemon tree. And all those times I was knocking down the lemons, the tree wasn't like, hey, those are my lemons. And he like picks one up and eats it. Like that's not, the branch never gets mad at, at the person who takes the fruit because it's, that's not what it's for. It doesn't feed off of its own fruit. It feeds off of the life source that is produced from the trunk of the tree. It's not, it's not feeding off its own fruit. Who is it for? The fruit is for other people. And so when we are producing fruit in our life, know that that fruit is not for you to glorify yourself and be like, look at all this fruit. It's about, it's about others coming and receiving and being able to be fed through your life, through the life that pumps through you, which is Christ. The branches don't eat the fruit others do. We are not producing fruit for ourselves, but to serve others. Proverbs 10, 21, it says, the lips of the righteous feed many. But there are different kinds of fruit in the Bible. Winning others to Christ, number one, we're a part of the harvest of, of the Lord, which is, is fruit to our account, the Bible says. Growing in holiness and obedience, we are bearing fruit, Romans chapter 6 says. Romans 15, 28, the giving of the church or the generosity is fruit to their account. A true branch united to the vine will always bear fruit because there is always fruit where there is life. And so if you're not bearing fruit, if the fruit of the Spirit is not coming from your life, then there is a disconnect between you and the vine. And the good news is, is that you can be connected as you turn back into your relationship with Jesus and to begin to cultivate it again. Anything that we neglect will die. You neglect your car, it's going gonna, it's gonna to explode at some point. You neglect your marriage or your relationship, it will explode eventually. You neglect your body, you will die a lot sooner than you should. You know, you, you neglect anything and it will die. It will stop working. A garden, everything will cease to exist except weeds. You have to cultivate it. You have to put time into it. That is the responsibility of the branch is to abide in the vine. And the result of that is fruit, effortless fruit. It's effortless. You never walk into an orchard and hear all these trees like, like trying so hard to produce something. It simply comes from being connected to the vine, connected to the life source. And from that springs more life. And so if you're feeling dead, perhaps it's because you're not connected to the vine. It's, and it's crazy. It's not crazy. I think that's a bad word to use when we're talking about Jesus in church. You know, you're like, you're, this is crazy. And people are like, yeah, you are crazy. Like, no, 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 not crazy. But it's, it's fascinating to me how simple God has made our relationship with him. Isn't it fascinating to you? If you look around the world and the way that the world does religion and the way that they can get to God or try and reach God, whether it's crawling up thousands of stairs on their hands and feet whether it's sacrificing things to it. Like, you know, you see the little statues and they're putting money on it and fruit on it and they're trying to get to God. It's amazing to me how simple God has made our relationship with him. It's simply by being with him. When Jesus called his disciples, do you know what he said to them? He, he said, I want you to come with me so that you can not work for me, not serve me, not make me great. He says that you might be with me. 
That was the call of Jesus to the disciples in Matthew chapter three. What God desires from us in relationship is that simply we would be with him. And being with him changes your whole life because it's not your life anymore. If you look outside, if you go outside and look at trees like I so often do, I'm just kidding, but I really like plants. Like I'm super into it. I love plants. Not the drug ones, but just plants in general. Just kidding. But I love trees and plants. My wife and I will go to this like nursery up in um, Buena Park. It's like super cheap. And we buy like a whole truck bed full of succulents. And it's just, it's what we do. They're like a dollar. And we're like, yeah, plants. I'm at that place in my life where suddenly plants are super cool. It just shows you how cool I am. But um, if you look at trees and things like that, Kyle knows what I'm talking about. If you, if you look at trees, like if you go outside and look at a palm tree, you're not, most of the time when the, when the palms are connected, like when everything's connected, you're like, look at that palm tree, right? The branches are absorbed into the identity of the tree. It's when that palm falls off of that tree, now you have a palm branch. And the point I'm making here is that our identity disappears in Christ as we're connected with him. And what people see is the fruit of Christ in your life. And that's what turns people towards Jesus. And there's an, a real identity crisis within our nation, within with just people. And people are like, you know, the youth have an identity crisis. And Thrice came out with a really great album called Identity Crisis like a long time ago when I was in junior high. And... Um, <laughs> There is, there's an identity crisis. Like people are trying to find identity in anything, even sexuality. Like that's what's gonna define me is what I'm attracted to. Like that's my identity. I'm this because I feel this way. That's crazy. You're trying to find who you are based on what you're attracted to. And that's where you find identity. You know, Christ has always desired that we would be a part of his body. If Christ is the head and we're the body of Christ, what do people see? They see Christ. Our identity is absorbed in the person of Jesus Christ. Where we disappear, the branches just become part of the vine. And everyone says, look at what the vine has done, right? Look at what Jesus has done in that life. And look what Jesus says in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. We all, I believe at our core of our Christianity, our desire is that we would glorify God, Right? Nicole is like, I want to glorify God with my life. Whatever I do, I want it to bless God. I want it to, to bring God glory. I want God to be made known through my life. Jesus says, this is, if you want to know what's going to glorify God, bear fruit. And the way that you bear fruit is being by, by being connected to Jesus. Do you see how simple Christ has made it? That our walk with him is not about what we can do for him, how much we can serve him, how much we can do this or whatever. It's about being in relationship with him. That's it. What a blessing that is. That God, what he wants from you is not your money. He doesn't want, he, what does he want from you? He wants you. That's all he wants. And he, he wants to have relationship with you. He doesn't just want you so that he can, he can manipulate you and, and leave you high and dry and, and, and totally ruin your life. Do you know that he wants 
used so that he can bless you and he can, he can work in your life. He can, he can revolutionize your whole life and change you and free you from sin and free you from all this stuff. You know, isn't that a beautiful thing that that's what God wants? Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? That what God wants from you is you. And he wants to bless you. He wants relationship with you so that he can bless you in that relationship. That he can give to you his spirit. That he can give to you his will. That he can give you children as babies cry in the background. Like what a blessing. Like to, to have a God that has a heart for you like that. And, and, to, and the way that God achieves that relationship is by the death of his son. Such an amazing thing. I heard a story. We'll end with this, this little story. There's a man who took his son to, to work with him. He was a, a bridge operator. And you know, when the train comes, he brings the drawbridge down, the train would go across. And, um, and so he took his son to work, and he was really excited. His three-year-old son. And as he's there working, uh, he knew the train schedules by heart. So he's kind of working on something else, and all of a sudden he hears the train horn and he turns around and like a train's coming and it's not supposed to be there for another hour. And so the bridge is up and all of these people are on this Amtrak train and he's trying to find his son and he opens the gearbox to the bridge and his son is playing in the gearbox room. And now he has a choice to make, like either his son or this train full of people. And it's like getting, he's yelling at him, he can't, he can't hear him. And so the father just flips the switch and the train goes by and everyone waves at him as he goes by as he's crying there over his son. Now I've heard someone tell that story. And he was saying that as the father did that, it was so that by the death of his son, others would be saved. But he says the real story goes like this, that the father and son were working together and the train was coming and he said, son, go down in the engine room so that I might crush you. So what did he say? Hold on a second. So that your blood would lubricate the gears so that many would be saved. That is the way in which God has given us relationships. By the, what, what scripture uses that terminology, by the crushing of his son. Isn't that wild? That it pleased the father to crush his son so that by his blood many would be saved. And this is what God offers to us, an abundant life as we abide in the vine because of the blood of Jesus, an everlasting life that comes through him. So... Just a wonderful text. I hope you're encouraged. Just stay close to Jesus. When life gets so stinking complicated and weird and you're just in the season of like back and forth and you're like, you know what? Forget this. Like, I'm out of here. Like, this is dumb. We're going to cut this out of the pocket. But, you know, have you ever come to that point in your life where you're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just going to go do something else. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. This pruning process is unnecessary. Like, and it's really difficult, and it's super annoying, and it's much easier to not love people. Like, I'll, I'll just 
be off on my own. Like I'm sick of being a cluster of grapes. I just want to be a bag of marbles. You're out of your, you're out of your marbles or you've lost your marbles. But anyway, if you ever had that like moment in your life, it's like, ah, it's because we've made our relationship with Jesus like so complicated. I forgot what I was going to say. It just gets super complicated. It's not that hard. Like, God's made it just truly easy to walk with him. Or to know him, I would say. It's not that easy to walk with him. But he's made it truly easy to have abundant life. And it's just by spending time with him. And what a joy it is to spend time with the Lord. So, we're going to do that. We're going to close in worship and then... Uh, we'll have time just to hang out together this evening. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that um, you've been um, just so good to us. And there are times where <clears throat> it hasn't always been super easy to be pruned by you and have things things removed and cut away and God I pray that you would help us to trust you as the one who knows what's best for us and the one who knows what we need God that when times of pruning come we would trust in the hands of the Father who loves us and cares for us. And Lord, not to, uh, <laughs> not to complain, but just as, as Job said, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus, we love you. God, we, we thank you that you've made it just so easy on us, Lord, just to love you and um, you made it so simple for us to have relationship with you. Um, we're so thankful tonight. And so, God, we pray as we worship you, as we sing to you, we just rejoice in the fact that you're here tonight with us. You're inhabiting the praises of your people. You're in our midst. And uh, you're, you're pleased in what you hear as we sing to you. We're, we're so thankful, God. You're good to us. In Jesus' name, amen.